Welcome to You Make Me Sick. Uh, this is a podcast that will be dedicated to infectious diseases. We'll discuss microorganisms, the diseases that they cause, their history, epidemiology, current treatments, and mortality rates associated with these diseases. The goal of this podcast is to try and be informative, but not over-analytical. I do want to touch on some of the science behind the bacterial or viral or fungal pathogens, but at the same time, we want to try and keep it interesting, uh, as well as maybe a little bit humorous, depending on what the actual subject is. So, my name is Andrew Stewart. Uh, I am a registered nurse. I work in a medical intensive care unit, so infectious disease is something that I'm quite familiar with. I also hold a degree in molecular and microbiology from Portland State University. With that being said, let's get on to our first episode. I hope you enjoy. You make me sick. Hello. Uh, In this inaugural episode of You Make Me Sick, we're going to be talking about uh, the bacteria Yersinia pestis otherwise known as the bacteria that causes the plague. Yersinia pestis, probably not a very well-known bacteria, but the illness that it causes is very, very well-known. It's been around for a very long time and caused some of the biggest pandemics in history. We'll talk a little bit about the actual bacteria itself, uh, why it's able to kind of evade immune protection and bacteria infects. Uh, We'll talk about the history of it going back a very, very long time. Uh, We'll talk about the current epidemiology uh, instance in the world today where it takes place, talk about uh, treatments for it, uh, as well as if you're exposed to it, what to do. So Yersinia pestis, it's a gram-negative rod. Uh, We're going to get into some of the details coming up, just exactly why this is such a pathogenic bacteria, but I really don't want to bore you too much with the uh, details getting too much into just the biochemistry of how these cells work, uh, how the bacteria works. Uh, But I do want to tell you a little bit uh, about the specific properties that they have that might make them just a little more dangerous, a little more deadly, and a little more pathogenic uh, than other bacteria. With Yersinia pestis, it's very special. It actually has a protein capsule, and it kind of produces a lipid A endotoxin. this is unique that it has a couple of different proteins that actually help it immune, help it evade immune attacks and can manipulate white blood cells within the host itself. Uh, this avoids it from being killed while it's in the serum of the blood when it first gets in, and it also helps it to survive once it's actually in the kind of in vessels or in tissue itself. Uh, this causes a lot of problems, and it also has a specific protein that can trigger a uh, clotting defects within the body. There's a specific process called disseminated intravascular coagulation uh, or coagulopathy. Uh, And this is what's defined as an acquired clinical biological syndrome characterized by widespread activation of coagulation leading to fibrin deposition in the vasculature, organ dysfunction, consumption of clotting factors and platelets, and life-threatening hemorrhage. Uh, So essentially what it does is Yersinia pestis has a special protein, and it winds up confusing the body. Uh, The body is unable to actually clot correctly with the platelets. Uh, This sets off what's called a clotting cascade, uh, puts the body into overdrive, and you wind up with a lot of miniature clots that creates more of these clotting factors to help actually kind of break up clots. And you wind up, people 
with people who have uh, a lot of clotting issues and at the same time they're not able to clot uh, so they end up uh, hemorrhaging bleeding out and this can actually be attributed to some of the boils and kind of uh, necrotic blisters that people see within the plague uh, the plague itself uh, from Yersinia pestis uh, it's a zoonotic infection which means it can be passed from animals to humans then humans to humans uh, it's typically spread by animals uh, there are typically two types of the plague that they find. There's the urban plague, which is in populated areas. Uh, the main vector for transport for the plague are fleas, but they're usually carried by rats. And that's where they define the urban plague as, is where rats are the main reservoir for it. Uh, the Slovatic plague is found in rural areas. This is more common with rabbits, squirrels, field mice, rats that are field mice and rats that, you know, aren't considered urban, obviously. And uh, domestic cats that often feed on these animals. Uh, as I said, the plague is typically spread by fleas. Uh, after a blood meal from an infected host, they'll move on to another host, infect that host. Uh, can also be spread by contact, uh, direct contact with bodily fluids from these animals or biting. Uh, so... Back to the issue of how it is so infectious, uh, those proteins that I was talking about earlier that kind of make it uh, able to evade the immune system. With humans, typically, uh, first line of defense in our immune system, you know, our white blood cells, uh, there's a majority of white blood cells called neutrophils. These kind of are able to pass through any blood vessel. They're first line of defense. They get in, they see a foreign invader, uh, try to help the body either defend against it or clean up cells that have been damaged by it. Uh, with Yersinia pestis, when it first gets in to the bloodstream, uh, the biofilm that it has, that uh, endotoxin A biofilm, has a specific enzyme called PLA, or the plasminogen activator protease. Uh, this enzyme has a really unique availability to evade the neutrophil attacks, and then it gives it the ability to actually migrate from the source of the infection. So if, you're, you know, if your white blood cells aren't helping to actually kill the bacteria, the bacteria can just survive as long as it needs to. Uh, get into the body, get into blood vessels, and it's able to travel. Uh, typically, this starts as soon as a flea bites somebody, uh, and it usually ends up in the lymph nodes. Uh, so the name bubonic plague, the word bubo is actually Greek for groin, uh, and that's where a lot of these lymph nodes first start to develop, uh, just the infections. And it's actually been noted in a lot of even old literature that uh, talk about just the masses that happen within the groins and the armpits as well of these lymph nodes. Uh, conversely, though, with the pneumonic plague uh, that isn't actually in the bloodstream but affects the lungs, uh, that same enzyme uh, protein, PLA, actually increases the spread of the Yersinia pestis in the lung tissue because it causes a robust immune response, and that causes these other cells called cytokines, which are immune cells, uh, to help attack and clear out the pathogens. What that does is even though it's clearing out the pathogens, it's also causing a lot of destruction to that lung tissue, uh, like we recently saw in COVID. Uh, the main issue with COVID itself is, you know, after a couple of weeks, the virus itself is gone, but by the time it's entered into the lung, it's caused this cytokine cascade, uh, become overinflamed, attack the lung tissue, the lung tissue gets destroyed, uh, they have what they call a fibrotic lung afterward, where the lung just doesn't have the compliance or the ability to breathe. Uh, with bubonic plague, it's far more rapid onset uh, than COVID was, and it's a different uh, outcome as well. 
uh, you start seeing people uh, within a day or two show symptoms and uh, they have what they call hemoptysis, so kind of bloody coughing, bloody sputum all over the place. Uh, pretty nasty. And it actually has a higher mortality rate than bubonic plague, but it's less common. Uh, but PLA is a major factor in the manipulation just of the clotting cascade. And uh, kind of the main factor to take away from this is that it causes that can cause that disseminated intravascular coagulation or coagulopathy. And when it's that's just in the bloodstream or in the body itself, and in the lung itself, it actually causes uh, just quick deterioration of that lung tissue and destruction of the lung tissue. Uh, the other unique way that Yersinia pestis actually evades the immune response is it has these other proteins uh, called antophagocytes, uh, specific parts of the cell that actually help prevent cell death from other immune cells. So there are other immune cells called macrophages uh, that come and will attack in certain tissues in the body when they find a cell that isn't supposed to be there. Uh, with Yersinia pestis, these proteins actually help prevent the cell death, and they give the bacteria the opportunity to spread even further after it's introduced into the body and into the lymph system, uh, which causes eventually a, a septicemia or bacteremia uh, in the bloodstream and travels throughout the entire body. Uh, mortality rates, uh, pretty high if untreated. That's why the plague caused so much devastation uh, pretty much until we had antibiotics. Uh, you know, first uh, quarter of the 20th century, uh, when those first started becoming available to people. Uh, before that, the plague, when it did happen, was exceptionally devastating. Referred to by different names over the long history of the disease, uh, Yersinia pestis, named for the French and Swiss physician and bacteriologist Alexander Yersin, uh, he's a gentleman who actually isolated and identified the bacteria. Uh, it had initially been known as Bacterium pestis up until about 1900. After that, it was known as Bacillus pestis until 1923, uh, then Pasteurella pestis, and that is named after uh, Louis Pasteur, who was actually Yersin's mentor. Uh, and then after that, it was known as Yersinia pestis, as I mentioned, uh, for Alexander Yersin. So throughout the documented history, um, there have been three major plagues that have been recorded, with a possible fourth plague that occurred in biblical times, but there's just not a lot of documentation for it. Uh, it's hard to find a lot of concrete evidence that it was Yersinia pestis that we're actually talking about uh, in the Bible, but uh, there are a couple of passages that mention uh, illnesses, uh, specifically in 1320 BC that had affected the Philistines. The first pandemic that was documented began in 546 AD. This is known as the Justinian Plague. It affected Asia, Africa, and Europe. Uh, over the course of this plague, it was estimated to have killed about 100 million people, uh, which at the time was one half of the world's known population. Uh, this is one of the lesser known pandemics in history, uh, even though it killed probably the most people ever from any pandemic that's been recorded. Uh, the second plague, which is the most, uh, most well-known, is the one that uh, you see in movies. Uh, you see the kind of death masks with the long, pointy beaks. This is the bring out your dead. Uh, this is the Black Death. So this pandemic encompassed uh, Europe and Asia. It's responsible for about 60 million deaths. Uh, this occurred in the 14th century. Uh, it's also kind of the, what we think of when we think of the plague, when we think of the boils, uh, Ring Around the Rosie, that poem, supposedly had actually originated from the Black Death. Uh, There's an Italian poet named Giovanni Boccaccio 
Uh, he wrote, uh, and I'll do my best uh, 14th century Italian accent. At the beginning of the malade, certain swellings, either on the groin or armpits, waxed to the bigness of a common apple. Others the size of an egg, some more, some less. These vulgar named plague boils. These horrific abnormalities, uh, as well as the areas of necrotic pustules, uh, are what actually kind of inspired that Ring Around the Rosie poem. And it's thought to be the origin of that, which is kind of creepy when you think about kids who sing it, uh, that it's kind of in reference to the bubonic plague that uh, killed millions and millions of people uh, since its origination. With regard to this second plague uh, or pandemic, it's believed to have uh, been introduced into Europe in 1347. Uh, when 12 vessels from the Black Sea docked at the port of Messina in Italy. As noted earlier, the ability of the disease to spread so quickly and over large geographical areas can be contributed to the very hospitable environment that ships possess. Uh, they are rodents. They thrive with no natural predators. They have an uh, easy vector for fleas to bite them uh, and spread the disease to humans. Uh, eventually, the disease spread to Marseille in France, then Tunis in northern Africa, then to Rome, then Florence in Spain. By 1348, the disease was actually in London and Paris, causing widespread deaths. So even over that short period of just one year, it spread, you know, essentially that whole entire region of southern Europe all the way up into England. Uh, it was during these times that uh, new vessels that were in ports actually had to keep sailors isolated due to this. Uh, initially, it was a 30-day period. Then they changed it to a 40-day period, which they called a quarantine, which we actually now use today, as all of us know, uh, from this past pandemic of COVID. But that is where that originated from, is actually how many days you have to spend on a ship before you're allowed to come into port to make sure that you had nobody on board who was infected. Uh, with clinical medicine being virtually non-existent at that time, uh, practices of bloodletting, uh, boil lancing, these were common practices, uh, which we know today obviously do not work and probably actually spread the disease. Uh, anytime you have blood-borne illnesses and you're freely letting blood out, uh, can definitely be a hazardous contaminant. Uh, there were other poor outcomes from this as well, just from the unsanitary conditions. Uh, Bathing in rose water and vinegar was a treatment that people tried, which also did not work. And there was very little that actually stemmed the spread of this plague. It should also be noted that at this time there was a large display of anti-Semitism. Uh, Jews were targeted and massacred between the years of 1348 and 1349, which actually prompted a lot of the Jewish faith to flee cities and seek shelters in sparsely populated areas to escape the mobs. Uh, there were also religious groups that uh, sought to stem the spread of the disease by trying to appease God. Uh, there are groups of Catholic men who would join processions of flatulence. That's flagellants, not flatulence. Uh, that would move from town to town and engage in public displays of self-punishment. Uh, that actually take turns lashing each other with leather straps that had little metal spikes embedded on them. Uh, and then the town folk would come out and watch, because who wouldn't want to watch that? This actually occurred... Uh, three times a day for 33 and a half days, and then the procession would actually pack up and move to the next town, then start all over again. Uh, the display actually gained such popularity that it kind of reached Rome, uh, where the Pope didn't want anything to do with this, uh, and he was actually concerned these groups had started to kind of usurp some of his power. And as we are well aware, the Catholic Church does not want anybody usurping their power. Uh, so the Pope thought it was in his best interest to dissolve these groups, which they were able to do. Don't have a specific timeline for how long it took, but uh, they were able to stop them at some point. So these plagues that occurred, 
in the 14th century. They lingered on for a little bit, didn't really see any huge epidemics again until about the 1600s, 1665 to 1666. Uh, there was another huge epidemic in London. Uh, and then after that, it was a little quiet for a couple hundred years. Uh, obviously, it never went away. The plague was always there, but you didn't see the pandemics or the mass amount of death that they had seen the centuries prior. Uh, in 1894, though, uh, the third plague occurred. And this actually started in Canton and Hong Kong. Uh, with new steam-powered vessels, the disease was able to travel faster, uh, country to country and nation to nation. And now there was actually cross-continental travel as well. Uh, so soon it was in 77 ports on five different continents. Uh, over about a 10-year period, it became widespread. Uh, in India, it actually killed over 6 million people from 1898 to 1908, uh, spread to Europe, spread to the United States. Uh, this was the last real plague that occurred. Um, so Yersinia pestis actually was first introduced to the United States in about 1900. Uh, it was internationally arriving from steamships, as I mentioned before. The ability to travel cross-continent now uh, just stemmed the spread of disease. Uh, and the last actual plague that was recorded in the United States wasn't that long ago. It was uh, close to 100 years ago. It happened in Los Angeles from 1925 to 1926. Uh in recent decades, really haven't been a lot of epidemics, especially with the invention of antibiotics. We can now kind of defeat this disease. Uh, we know how to kill the bacteria and how to treat it better, uh, especially if you're able to catch it uh, early on in its disease progression. Uh, but there have been a few epidemics, uh, most notably Vietnam in the 60s and 1970s. And then Africa actually has a few areas over the past 30 years that have had them, uh, even as recently in the last 10 years or so. Uh, from 1980 to 1997, uh, there were a total of 19,349 cases and 1,781 deaths in Africa, uh, which actually comprised of about 66.8% and 75.8%, uh, respectively, of the world's total uh, <coughs> excuse me, of uh, Yersinia pestis deaths or from the plague. That being said, the overall case fatality rate of these was only about 9.2%, which is much better when you consider that without treatment, uh, the bubonic and pneumonic plagues can cause about 75 to 90% fatality rate. So like I said, with the invention of antibiotics, uh, better medical treatment, uh, more sterility, and uh, just better knowledge about how to treat the disease, they've actually had much better outcomes, even though the disease still persists, and especially in these third world nations that uh, do have lacking medical care and the access uh, to better treatments. Uh, with regard to these uh, recent, I wouldn't call them epidemics, but recent episodes of Yersinia pestis, uh, Africa does have a couple of nations that kind of lead the way. So the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Madagascar, uh, as well as Tanzania have had really high counts of Yersinia pestis. Uh, in the last 15 years, Madagascar and Tanzania have accounted for about 62%, 62.5% uh, uh, of all the plague cases in Africa. Uh, from 2010 to 2015, there were about 300 and well, sorry, 3,248 cases reported worldwide, uh, including 584 deaths. Uh, so. Not a lot, uh, considering this has killed millions and millions of people over the courses of existence. As I said before, it's, it's more rare now, uh, especially in well-developed countries that have access to medical care and antibiotics. 
In case you are wondering, the statistics that I am giving you do come from the World Health Organization. You can look them up yourself. Uh, if anybody does have any uh, differing statistics, uh, feel free. I'll give an email address at the end of this. Uh, let me know. I want this to be as accurate as possible. Uh, these are the most recent numbers that I could find, but uh, who knows what's come out you know, in the last month or so since I've been doing research on this. According to the WHO, the plague is considered to be a disease that uh, is underneath their uh, scope of international health regulations. Uh, countries have to report cases to the WHO uh, within 24 hours. Uh, unfortunately, though, like a lot of other diseases, the incident of occurrence is probably grossly underestimated and undercounted uh, just due to the access of people not being able to be tested, uh, non-reporting, poor surveillance, uh, and just uh, poor accurate data collection, especially in areas that uh, have inadequate health care, inadequate data collection, and don't even have the system set in place to accurately collect this information. Uh, to this point... Uh, may only be about a third of the cases are actually reported, uh, and that is per the WHO, uh, World Health Organization. Uh, as far as cases in the human population in the U.S., they're far and few between. They mostly occur in two uh, specific geographic locations. There's uh, northern Arizona, northern New Mexico, southern Colorado, so that kind of southwestern area. And then there's the Pacific Northwestern area, California, southern Oregon, and uh, parts of western Nevada. And just to kind of state how uh, uncommon this disease actually is, there have only been an average of seven cases per year in the U.S. over the past few decades. Uh, the most were 17 back in 2006, uh, but since then kind of up and down, but almost never breaking into double digits. Uh, as with any extremely contagious pathogen, Yersinia pestis, uh, it is considered an organism that could be used as a bioterror weapon. Uh, the CDC does have measures set in place in case of any kind of bioterror event. Uh, not sure on the specifics of exactly how it would be used, but because it is very contagious, uh, it could affect mass populations if distributed uh, correctly. In case of exposure, uh, or the possibility uh, that exposure is present, uh, current guidelines for caretakers uh, and for those caring for infected patients would just be for droplet precautions, which honestly, it means wearing a mask. So if you work in a hospital already, you, you have to do that per law, as well as the use of just what are considered standard precautions. So uh, just gloving up if you're going to be coming in contact with somebody. Uh, as healthcare professionals, that's what we do anyway. Um, if you're in the field, probably the same thing. I think you would have that equipment available to you. Uh, if possible exposure has occurred, uh, treatment with antibiotics is suggested. Uh, it's a one-week course, uh, close monitoring for signs and symptoms. Um, since the invention of the antibiotic, you know, the incidence of plague have dropped so much, uh, not only in the U.S., but just worldwide. Of course, as mentioned before, there are still deaths from it. Um, in cases of severe illness where it has spread either mnemonically to the lungs or to the blood in a septicemia, uh, it may require uh, mechanical ventilation to help breathing as well as intensive care unit stays just to manage IV antibiotics. And if they're very, very sick, possibly they need for medications to keep your blood pressure up uh, as well as sedating medications if you are ventilated. Uh, diagnostically, samples can be taken from the lymph nodes, uh, the blood, the sputum. Um, if it's unobtainable for whatever reason, you can actually take a tissue sample for it as well. In the laboratory, the bacteria is identified by a technique called gram staining. It could also be used uh, be 
identified by polymerase chain reaction uh, or by direct fluorescent antibody testing. Uh, Once it's detected, the bacteria, it's treated with a few different antibiotics depending uh, what's available. People have allergies. uh, What's more expensive, it depends on the provider and what they want to prescribe. May require IV antibiotics depending on uh, how far along the actual infection is. Uh, but oral antibiotics are also effective for it. Um, the major antibiotics that are used to treat it are streptomycin, genthamycin, doxycycline, uh, as well as fluorochloroquines, uh, which all can treat and kill the bacteria very effectively. So now that we've kind of discussed Yersinia pestis, we've discussed uh, the bacteria itself, uh, why it's a little bit different than some other bacterias, uh, why it's a little more pathogenic, its history, some of the epidemiology, and the treatments. kind of just want to give an idea of exactly how deadly this disease has been throughout history. Uh, I'll probably do this with a lot of the pathogens that I talk about. So I think what I'm going to do is take the death toll and then kind of calculate uh, how close we could actually come to the moon by standing all the dead head to toe. To do this, I'm going to use the average height uh, of the American citizen today. Uh, I know that over the years people have grown. In the 14th century, people are much shorter. Uh, But uh, if you take today the average height for men and women uh, age 20 and above, it's about 5 feet 5 inches tall. So according to NASA, the moon's an average distance of about 238,855 miles. Uh, So if we were to stand each person um, head to toe, uh, we'd need about 229,300,800 people to actually reach the moon. So with the plague, the actual number that we get, considering it was estimated to have been about 150 to 200 million deaths, since people started actually recording uh, deaths from the plague, uh, which would actually get us about two-thirds of the way to the moon. Uh, The Empire State Buildings, uh, if you were to stand them uh, head to toe, you'd have about 558,803 Empire State Buildings. And if you were to take the bodies, wrap them around the world, uh, so the world's about 24,901 miles in circumference. Uh, You'd actually be able to wrap the Earth 6.43 times with the amount of people who have died from the plague. I know this is a little bit dark, but uh, at the same time, just kind of want to give an idea of just how deadly uh, the bubonic plague has been throughout history. As I mentioned before, we'll probably tackle this again with other bacteria or viruses that have caused mass amounts of death. Uh, Just kind of give you some scope of how many uh, people have actually died from these. Uh, and it's also nice to, you know, think about today how well antibiotics kind of work to stem these, uh, stem the spread of these infections, and how just medical treatment in general, uh, even over the last hundred years, has just become more accessible and far, far better at treating uh, diseases and illness. So. With that being said, uh, I'll wrap it up. Uh, If anybody has any comments or questions, if there's anything that was inaccurate, uh, my sources for this, uh, I actually used uh, history.com, which is a pretty good resource. They're pretty accurate. Uh, I also used the WHO's website, CDC's website, uh, and I also used uh, the textbook Medical Microbiology by Murray, Rosenfall, and Thaler as a resource. Uh, But please email me. Um, 
I'm going to give an email address right now. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, even requests if you have a certain pathogen or disease you want to hear about. Uh, have a good day. Thank you very much. She's got diarrhea.